All right. Are you ready? <laughs> Are you I scared? I think so. I am a little bit scared. You look a bit nervous. Well, you've got that whole, you know, interrogator kind of vibe about you. And you've also got the mystery of not quite knowing what you're thinking. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you've got that, you, you look like sugar. Yeah. But there's a chance that there might be a bit of spice in there as well. There's some sting in the tail, mm. waiting to whip. Have we already started? Or no, is, we no? haven't. Okay. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen. Check it out. You've got to start somewhere. The podcast that takes you behind the scenes of show business to prove there's no such thing as an overnight success. With your host... Rachel Corbett. Welcome to the show. Today I am joined by host of 2GB's Drive Show, Sydney Live, and today's show regular, Mr. Ben Fordham. Rachel, good afternoon. No, good morning, good evening. Well, people can be listening whenever they like. Whenever they like. Thank you for inviting me into your humble radio abode. Thank you so much for coming in. I I kind of, look, let's be honest here with everyone listening. Mm. I pressured you to get on this podcast because it's obviously the hot (laughs) podcast at the moment, and I just watch you updating your social media feeds. This person's done it. That person's done it. And I gradually said to you, yeah, I'd love to do it at some point, which was really quite presumptuous of me. So I apologise for being so forward. Yeah, but what you do in classic photo style <laughs> is you demand to be on it. And then when I eventually say yes, you're like, but you've got to come to me. No, I didn't. <laughs> I said I'd go anywhere. I just wriggled my way in. So anyway. Well, I am delighted to have you here. And I just want to double check we don't have to do any live reads before I get going into well, the I've, questions. I've got some here for Audi Alto Artama. No, no, no. It's, or it's, Spinalese. It's, it's One, three. 388-6345. Couldn't be a chat with the old Fordo. SpinalEZE.com.au <laughs> for a better night's sleep. Now it now it feels like they need to give me some money for that. Uh, actually, <laughs> we can work on that. Congratulations, yeah. by the way, on the podcast. Oh, it's thank fantastic. You. I appreciate it's such it. a good idea. Because a nice, friendly way for people to hear. Hang on, how did they get started? It's really well. That's cool. it because you hear people all the time and you don't know. I mean, I've known you. I've worked with you for a while. I've got no idea where you came from. Mm-hmm. What tiny rock you crawled out under? So. I'm wondering where you came from. Are, are we going to tell that story no. at some point? <laughs> no, we are not. I was thinking of flipping it a little bit and no. finding out a little bit. Can you just quickly tell me? Can you tell no, me just really I'm, briefly? I'll, t- I'll tell you after the show. It's not about me, mate. This show isn't about me. But people listening would rather hear about you than no. me. Can you just give us a 25-word oh, or less? No? I'm, no, I'm not giving you the Reader's Digest version. Oh, Don't flip it around. I'm the one interviewing this time, no. right? So I know you, the no comment already. I know we? you're in your big boy chair in your little 2GB <laughs> studio. I, I get it. it. I love it when you talk <laughs> nasty with me. I really do. you got such a nice way of doing it. I do. All right, let's get started. Sure. Because I want to know whether what you're doing here now, was mm-hmm. this always a dream that you had from when you were young? No doubt about it. I went into a radio studio, I reckon, when I was about 13 years of age. My dad, John, did a spot on a radio show on 2UE talking about wine uh, with Catherine Griner. She was wow. filling in, the former wife of the former New South Wales Premier, Nick Griner, and Dad would go in there on a Saturday or a Sunday and talk about wine for 15 minutes or Why? two minutes or something like that. He's a wine connoisseur. Buff, right? right? He loves – it's not his job, but mm. it, he basically loves drinking wine. Okay, good. And so uh, I would go in there and I just kind of watched what was going on and thought this all looks really interesting. And then I did work experience on the Alan Jones Breakfast Show – 
Was this okay? That, that's that's tough to get into. How did you manage? Was that because your dad owns a management company, run the sort of family owned? Was that how you kind of managed well, to get work experience? It there? was the fact that I was already in there on the going in and watching dad do these spots, and also right. I'd kind of been around it to a degree because when I was much younger, say you know between zero and ten. Dad would do radio reports on Rugby Union from the weekend. So we would go to Chatswood Oval and we'd watch Gordon play Rugby Union. And then Dad, on the way home, Dad would be covering the game for the radio. So he'd be taking notes mm-hmm. and everything. And then he'd pull the car over and Ben and Nick and Sarah, the three kids, would be in the back of the car. Dad would say, stay in the car and don't bloody move. <sighs> while he would go into a phone box. So the kids listening out there before mobile phones, there were yep. phone booths and phone boxes, and he would wait in there for his cross, which might be 15 or 20 minutes, and we'd all be punching the daylights out of each other in the back of the car, and we'd listen to his, his report. He'd do a rugby report. So I'd kind of always been around it. And then when I started going in on weekends, that's when I said, oh, look, I want to do work experience. You know, schools do work experience programs, but mm. the school I went to didn't. So I knew that, let's say my sister, she's older than me, she did work experience somewhere. So then at school, once I got to about year nine, I asked someone at school, I said, I said, do we do work experience in year 10? And they said, no, 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 we don't. And I said, when do we do it? And they said, well, we don't. So for some reason, the school I went to had no work experience. Mm. I was always going to be someone who was going to go and start working as opposed to continuing studying because by the time school was over, I was kind of over the study. So I organized my own work experience. And I wrote to Alan Jones and said, can I come in and do some work experience? So I went in for a week of doing behind the scenes on the Alan Jones Breakfast Show. And I think after about one day, I was like, this is me. I, I want to do this. I didn't think at that stage I'd, I'd be doing my own show, like yeah. say Alan. But I knew that I wanted to be around the fun that was inside that radio station. because, And this sounds really juvenile, but keep in mind I was 15. Yeah, I'd never heard swearing like I'd heard around the radio station. I was like, wow. And I'd never met so many funny people. I just thought everyone was hilarious. And so I walked away from that and thought, that's where I want to be. I want to be amongst all of that. I've talked a lot to mates that I've worked with in the business about the fact that that radio and media, radio in particular, I think, because there's something about working in a radio studio and the office around it and the Mm. people that it attracts. It sort of destroys you for any kind of other job in any kind of corporate environment because you realise the things that you get away with saying, oh, yeah. I mean, HR would be no. on to you in a what second. A <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a politically incorrect, incorrect kind of environment and it's raw and because there are really full-on deadlines and everything's so now, 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 then people have conversations in a way that you wouldn't normally have. Mm. You don't walk up and quietly say, look, uh, at some stage over the next 15 minutes, I would like you to break this story. (laughs) Someone says, quick, get this, get in there. And, you know, that's the nice way of putting it. So I was attracted to all of that colour and movement. And I thought to myself, I... I want to do this. And so I watched Alan for a week. I would sit in his studio while he was on air. I made the mistake and I now look back and think, what was I thinking? But he was he was reading something and, and this is, you know, I mean, when was this? I don't know, the 80s, I suppose, mm. or the 90s. Gosh, I've got a bad memory. <laughs> but anyway, he was talking about it was like, this is, I'm really old. He was talking you about computers. Not. No, listen, because he was talking about Amiga computers, oh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And he said, Omega Oh, yes. And I was sitting next to him and I naturally said, not thinking, hang on, I'm in a radio studio with a microphone on. Oh, you I just him. naturally said, Amiga. <laughs> and then as I said it, I went, oh, no. And he said, well, 
He said, we have a young man here who's telling me, educating me here about what this thing's called. And I was like, oh, no, this is it. I'll never be back. This is the end of my career. Uh, but I did the week. And I was, look, I was, I was truly uh, impressed with, with Alan and what he did and the team and the drama and everything that goes on around it that I, I didn't know that I'd want to host my own show. I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. Uh, but I thought, I've got to get in here somehow. Was he good to work with in that environment? He was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, he was, I think he's someone who's always taken an interest in giving young people some encouragement, giving them a bit of a start. Uh, and he was he was blunt, though, as well. And, I, you know, to be honest, he was, mm. you know, there was one stage there where I'd stuff something else up during work experience and he kind of let me know about it. Mm. And someone said to me, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. That's I, I love that. I love that he was treating me like anyone else around there and you stuff that up. Hey, don't do it that way. Do it this way. Mm. Uh, you know, he runs a very tight ship. And I can't believe that all these years later, so this is, what, 25 years later, he's still doing the breakfast show. And I'm on the same radio station in the afternoon. But that started it. Uh, and then I, from there, I don't mean to preempt your next question. but Please, I, just I can just sit back and have a cup of tea and you yeah, can just keep talking. Just and I'll just, I'll just talking. piss off no, so. and come back in about an hour. And if you could have done the whole thing, I'd really appreciate <laughs> sorry, it. Sorry, I've got a talking problem. I've got a talking yes. problem. And you've just done a two-hour show. My name's Ben. Three hours. Thanks for being oh, a regular listener. Hours. My name's Ben and I like to talk. But... um. <laughs> No, I then said, all right, well, how do I turn this into a, into a job? And then I heard around the radio station that there was a job going every Sunday in the sports department. And I was like, right, this is my in. How old were you then again? Well, I 15 when I was 15. doing work experience. Right. And then I said, okay, there was this job going around the radio station on a Sunday. So I put my hand up for that. And someone said to me, how old are you? And mm. I said, oh, I'm 15. And they went, yeah, yeah, nah. Mm-hmm. And then I said, well, no, give me a go at doing it because I'll do it for free. So someone went, well, you'd have to put it past the boss. And so John Brennan was the boss of Radio 2UE. I went and saw him and I said, look, I'd really love a crack at doing this. And he said, look, I think you're too young at this stage. And I said, well, look, why don't I just do it this Sunday? And if I'm terrible, they can just get rid of me and I'll come back in a year. And he went, oh, okay, all right, that's fine. And so I went in there that Sunday and I, I went, all right. I, I kind of worked out what I was doing. So hang on, were you on, you weren't on air though? No, 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 no. 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 Gosh, whoa, I was going to say, jeez, they're really Back up the <laughs> they truck, They were letting sister. anyone in there. My day consisted of going and buying everyone's lunch, <laughs> yeah. uh, which involved walking from Greenwich to St. Leonard's Station because I was too young to drive because I'd say, just drive down to St. Leonard's. And I was like, um, I'm 15, I don't have a car <laughs> or a license. So I'd walk down to St. Leonard's. <laughs> and buy, I still remember buying Andrew Moore's sausage sandwiches and other sandwiches, <laughs> and I'd bring them back, answer phones, yeah, um, and then get scores together and just basically do whatever I was told to do. So because I said I'll do it for free, I think that was probably the in. Mm. And then they really struggled to get rid of me because I just kind of refused to leave. And then So I'd go to school Monday through Friday, and then I'd go in there on a Sunday, and I would so wait for my Sundays. I'd be sitting at school thinking, at 15, 16, 17, thinking, I can't wait for Sunday because wow. I'm made for that. I want to be in there. I, I'm kind of over this school thing. How long did you do that job for? Probably two and a half years or something like that. So I remember by the time I was in about year 11, year 12, there was some Commonwealth Games going on, and someone at 2UE said to me, mate, do you want two weeks work during the Commonwealth Games, mm. writing scripts for the other sports reporters who went on air? And I said, I'd love it. So they gave me the dates, and I went and spoke to mum and dad. I said, look, there's two weeks here where I can work on the Commonwealth Games, you know, putting reports together and handing them over to the presenters. And mum was like, well, 
you've got to go to school. Mm. And I said, yeah, but this is a, you know, I could take two weeks off school. Mum was like, you're not taking time off school. Not happening. So I had to go back and say no. And they were like, why not? And I said, because I, I go, I'm still at school. And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're still at school. <laughs> and then they said to me, someone said to me then in passing, oh, well, when do you finish school? And I said, well, at the end of this year. And they said, oh, well, we'll have to do something. We'll have to get you in then. And then I was offered a cadetship. So I, they said to me, because I knew how the computers worked mm. and I knew how the carts worked and I kind of got to know all of the systems and everything and everyone and I knew everyone's lunch order. <laughs> they just kind of thought, all right, well, rather than train someone else up, once you're finished school. So I went and collected my HSC results from the post office mm. and I had a look at it. It wasn't that flash, the result, uh, but that was my first day on the job as a cadet in the 2UE newsroom. Originally, it was offered to me in sport, but then a couple of people quit. Mm-hmm. So Andrew Voss took off to Channel 9 to be a sports commentator. Andrew Moore left 2UE and came to 2GB. So Ray Hadley, who was running the sports department at that time, said, I'm sorry, there's no longer a cadetship in the sports department. And that was like a heart punch for me. I was like, oh, no. And then Murray Olds, the news director, heard about it and said, mate, I'll take you on in the newsroom. And I said to my dad, I said, I don't understand news. I, mm. I understand sport. And dad said, mate, do one day in the newsroom and you'll never look back because it's just so interesting. And, and he was right. I mean, I couldn't go back to sport now full time because I love what's going on in news so much because you just kind of never know what's going to happen next. What was that first day there like? Oh, it was, well, the first job I went on, and by this stage I'm still not on air, obviously, mm. But Justin Kelly, who was a star reporter of the 2UE newsroom, he said, tag along with me on the first day. And you'll never guess the first story that I helped cover were the kids who'd done really well in the HSC because the results had come out that day. I had my very average result in my hand. And they they laid out the seven or eight kids who'd got 100 in the HSC. And we had to go along and interview them at the board of studies or something. And I remember Justin Kelly turning to me halfway through. He goes, mate, how did you go in the HSC? I said, no, 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 not not, not as good as these guys. So, look, it was dawning. It was scary. But the best thing was I just learned on the run. And the best piece of advice I had from Murray Olds, my first news director, I said, mate, what what do I do? Mm. Because I don't know, well, what do you actually do? I mean, I, I've got an idea of how everything works, but I don't know what where I fit into all of this. And he said, sit on your ass and just pay attention to everyone else. And if there's something that you like, copy it. You're right. So in other words, I, try and, I, I kind of became a little bit of everyone. I used to look mm. and go, I really like the way she does that. Really love how he does that stuff live. She's really good at that. He's really good at that. And then I kind of just cherry-picked and thought, well, I've got all these amazing, talented people in front of me. So instead of me thinking that I'm going to create myself from scratch, I'm just better off thinking, all right, well, I'll just pinch the best of everyone. Mm. Was your, were your parents um, proud? Like, obviously, your dad, you'd seen your dad do stuff in the realm of where you wanted to get into. Sometimes when parents are in media, there can be either a bit of fear that their child will yeah. go and get into media. Was no. he proud? No, I mean they. Um, I think they were they were proud of the fact that I was I was really strong on the on the work ethic front. The fact mm. that I got out there and and started working. And I kind of always did that. We had that was part of our thing in our family, as far as mum and dad were concerned. The moment we were, you know, probably eleven or twelve, mum and dad were like, "Okay, so what are you guys going to do for you? What do you, what's your school holiday job?" And we were, I don't know. So they we started a lawn mowing business, my brother and I, the lawn mowing business, and then I did a bit of newspaper delivery with my mate Cam. And there was always that thing of getting out there and having a go, and that was always something that mum and dad taught us. So it wasn't so much of being in the industry; it was the fact that hey, you've got a job, you mm. know, and that's a big thing to leave school and be straight into a job. But I only got that because I'd spent those last two or three years at school by 
chipping away on weekends. So, yeah. And for plenty of people, I mean, I, I'm not sure whether you get a, long, a lot of young people coming in here or Heaps. how it works. You do too, yeah. We, we've got I just we've got a full system. When I started here, there was no work experience. Mm. So I quickly changed that. And so our first office in the 2GB building had a couch. And I was like, we don't really need the couch. Mm-hmm. So we got rid of the couch, put a desk in and a computer and a phone, and that became the work experience spot. And so now we've got and we've got a full program on on our show mm. where we have work experience. So anyone who wants to do work experience, anyone gets one day. Mm-hmm. So they come in for one day. If they show promise or a lot of enthusiasm, we then say to them, you can come back again if you want for another day. And then we have an intern system whereby – Someone can come in each day. We can have an intern that can come in on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. The Friday intern gets paid. So I convinced 2GB a few years ago to say, look, whoever the Friday intern is, and that's basically the, the most dedicated out of the, the interns, they mm. get paid on a Friday. And then that person is next cab off the rank for the next job producing on the show. So because I started out as a work experience kid, I have gone to a lot of trouble to make sure that and everyone, every single person, you just met my crew there before as you came in, everyone on this show started as work experience. So wow. uh, you just spotted Josh, apart from Liz, because she just joined us from the newsroom. But I think everyone else who's worked on my show in the last six years, apart from Liz, who swapped from the newsroom recently, everyone started as a work experience kid. It's good for people that want to come in because it is a tough business to crack into. And I think working on FM, we never had any of those kind of programs because there was the sense that, well, we don't have time to teach anybody anything. Yeah. That was the sense of the company, you yeah. know, because it, it does end up being, unless you've got a formalised sort of program or mm. you've actually sat down and thought, what are we going to do with these kids so they're not just sitting there like, yeah. you know, a spare tit um, and thinking, well, where do I go? Because it can be an intimidating place too to be in a studio and you don't really know where you fit and and it's really important I think if you're going to get the most out of a program or if you're going to turn up somewhere like this that you do feel like you have a place because it's very easy to feel like you're on the outer. It's not like a a normal job process as far as how people find their way in here so Josh Lauder who's the EP of our show here's just one example Josh's mum's dog Molly caught a bus Right, and there was a story. Josh's mum's dog. Josh's mum's dog caught a bus. Molly caught a bus. So stick with me for a moment. There was a story on about page fifteen of the Manly Daily one Friday. Yeah. About this wonder dog that had jumped on a bus, and then they had a map, and they went, "Look, it went like fifteen k's from there to there." And then before someone discovered, and they got the dog off, and we saw it, and we're like, "Let's find this woman who owns the dog and get her on for a bit of a chat." As a bit of a light thing on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. So we get Joe on uh, Josh's mum, and at the end of the interview. When, I, when Harriet, who was the EP at the time, said, thanks a lot, thanks for coming on, she went, oh, before you go, can my son come in and work experience? So we all we remind Josh all the time, mate, if it wasn't for your mum's dog, Molly, <laughs> catching the bus, you wouldn't be here. Uh, Zach, who works for me, he sent me, a, I can't remember how it all started, but after a while, when he landed a job, he came in on work experience and then he was an intern. And, and when he finally got a job, I was giving him a lift home one night because we were both living in the same area. And on the way back, I was like, mate, you're doing really well. I was giving him a bit of a pump up. And then I said, mate, just remind me, how did you start again? How did you get in contact with me again? And he said, oh, it was through Daniel Street, who was a bloke I used to work with at Channel 9. I said, oh, that's right. You're Streeties, mate. That's right. That's how it started. And I said, how is Street? Have you spoken to him lately? He goes, oh, mate, I've actually never met him. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, I wrote to Daniel Street for advice on how to get into the industry because they went to the same school. He said, you're good at looking after young people. So I wrote to you. Oh. And I claimed that I knew Streety. I was like, so you don't even know him. You'd never met him. He said, no. I was like, mate, you're a fraud. You only got your job through Streety. 
who you've never met. So you've got to be creative, I suppose, in the way that you pitch yourself and trying to get in the front door. Yeah. But anyone can come in the front door. Anyone who's listening to this right now who says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. And we got an email this afternoon from someone saying, can I come in and do work, work experience? We don't say a week for everyone mm. because that's too much. Mm. You may not like it and you, we may not like it. Mm. But everyone gets to come in for a day and we go from there and you never know where it might end up. You can tell too pretty quick whether no somebody's doubt. got no the doubt. skills for it, the personality for it, mm. the passion for it, all those things. So how long were you sort of working behind the scenes before you did your first kind of on I reckon stuff? once I started full-time at 2UE, it would have been about six months and then I there was a – uh, anniversary of the Granville train disaster, and mm. I went to cover that, and I wasn't allowed to do voice reports on the radio. I'd just take the microphone along and I'd file a little bit of tape and some copy. Uh, but this one day, Greg Burns, who was uh, one of the editors there in the 2UE newsroom, said, mate, have a go at doing a voicer. And I said, okay. So I did it, and he ran it on the midday news. So that was my, my start, maybe six months or so after starting in the newsroom. The boss then pulled me aside and said, who said you could do that? I said, oh, Burns. He said, mate, you're not up to it yet. Uh-huh. So he, he then put me back on the sidelines, Murray Olds, for another month or so, and then be, you know practicing and whatever. And then before you know it, I was on there again and then doing live crosses. And then eventually uh, we had a new boss in the newsroom called Julie Flynn, who'd been in Canberra for many years. And she was much feared, Julie Flynn, because mm. a really tough operator. And she came in uh, and she sat us all down and gave us all a, a bit of a spray in the newsroom about how things were going and how things were going to have to be better. And I was like, oh, no. And then at the end of the meeting, she called me into her office and I thought, this isn't good. And she said, listen, you're going to Canberra. And I said, what do you mean? And I was 18, 19. Mm. She said, you're going to Canberra to be a political reporter. Wow. And I said, oh, look, I'd need to have a think and talk to mum and dad. She said, don't go on like an idiot. You're going to Canberra. It'll be the best thing to ever happen to you. So I packed up the red Mitsubishi Colt and drove to Canberra. And that that started a lifelong love of politics. So I got to go and work in the press gallery for a year or so. And, and What then was that back. like? What's that life down oh, there? It's amazing. It was just, it, it's, it's a town full of orphans, right? Because mm. there are some people who are born in Canberra, but most people working in that building and in that press gallery, they're from Melbourne or Sydney or Adelaide or Perth. They're not from Canberra. So, so you really, got an instant community there. Yeah. Mm. You know, like I started going to dinner parties yeah. and I was like, wow. You know, and I, and then when it came to my turn to host a dinner party, I was like, I don't have a table at the house that I'm sharing in. So I don't know how I'm going to do this. So I did a picnic. I did a chicken well, and good. chips and coleslaw picnic on the ground at our home uh, with some of these much older journalists who were thinking, what's going on here? But it was a real, it was a great eye opener for me. I, I loved it. And the, the friendships formed from, one year in the press gallery as a 19-year-old, mm. still stay on today. And I look at some of the people around, for example, the editor of the Daily Telegraph in Sydney, Chris Dore, he was a young bloke in the News Limited office in the press gallery when I was there in 1996. Mm. And, you know, he's now running the most influential newspaper, arguably, certainly in Sydney, but mm. maybe in Australia as well. And he's one example of people have just kind of gone on to do all these different things. So. I guess now, though, that's, that is that is something you can cash in on later in life, is those connections, particularly when you're doing a show where, uh, you know, you need yeah. to know a lot of people yeah, and have sure. a lot of connections and that yeah. kind of stuff, that kind of that becomes um, part of something that you can utilise yeah. and, and I guess as, as, as well as contacts, it just gave me a, a better understanding of what really happens in politics. Yeah. So as a radio host now, I've got a better understanding, I think, of some of the games that go on behind the scenes and and how it all plays out uh, that I wouldn't have had if I hadn't have had that time. So, 
years and years later when I, I met my wife, Jodie, who's a Channel 7 news reporter, Jodie Spears, she had a moment where she was offered an opportunity to go to Canberra as a political correspondent, but we'd just met. Mm. And so she was like, oh, yeah, you know, it's a good opportunity. I said, it's a great opportunity. You've got to do it. And she said, yeah, but, you know, we've just met and everything seems to be going pretty well. And I said, well, I feel like that as well. And she said so she was tossing up maybe not to do it. And uh, and I went and I told my mum about it. I was talking to my mum and I said, you know, Jodie's got this thing. And, and mum said, she's got to do it. You've got to tell her she has to do it. Mm. So uh, I certainly, I, I said to Jodie, look, it's not a it's not a maybe. You've, you've, you've got to go and do it. And obviously we're going to stay together and just make it work, mm. uh, which we did. Because if you get the opportunity to do it, I think it's a, one of those things you can't turn down. Well, it gives you a pretty good insight. And you're right. Now the job that you do today, I think that kind of understanding of exactly what the inner workings are and how things operate down there. It's, it's a bit of a mystery to yeah. most people. And when you are the person who is, you know, on AM radio, it's you are a, a person that people go to for knowledge and for understanding and um, and that can be really important, that that experience in there. Yeah, you can, you can stay forever, mm. but that wasn't going to be me. I, I discovered I agreed to go for a year and I, I was so young and I was like, I got homesick and I got – so I, I ended up saying to – uh, Julie Flynn, who was that uh, pretty tough boss that I had, I said, look, I, I agreed to be here for a year. I'm going to come back. She mm. was like, oh, right. I said, look, I'm homesick. I miss my mum and my dad. I'm 19. So I uh, trotted back to Sydney. Uh, but I, I was one of those people who thought, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. I want to get the experience and run. Some people go to the Press Gallery in Canberra and never leave, like Michelle Grattan or Laurie Oaks or people like that. And I've got full respect for those people, but that wasn't going to be me because I just found that too long in that building, I was going to become a bit stale. Mm. And I love my mates and my my family too much, so I thought I've got to come home. So what did you come back to work-wise? On my last day, just as far as timing goes, my last day was the night before the Threadbow landslide. So I'd had a farewell in Canberra. The removalist truck was coming at 9am and at 1am, uh, Greg Burns from the 2UE newsroom called me and said, mate, go to Threadbow. Mm. So I ended up packing up and going to Threadbow and covering the Threadbow landslide, uh, which was a, probably one of the biggest stories I've ever covered. And I spent a week in Threadbow doing that. And then when I came back, uh, I went back into the general rounds of 2UE news. But then I got a phone call from Sky News Australia, who mm-hmm. called me and said, look, why don't you come and have a meeting with us? And I went and met with Tony Ritchie, who was the news director. And he said to me, Mate, he said, just come and work for us because at that stage, Sky News had just started. Mm. No, no one was watching back in those days on Sky News. Yeah. And he said, look, come and make all of your mistakes on TV here rather than on Channel 9 or Channel 7 or Channel 10. He goes, because no one's watching. And this mm. was the boss. Mm. I was like, this guy's really honest. So I just had a good vibe on him and I thought, okay, I'm going to go with him. So I went and worked for him for a year and became a TV producer over there and did a bit of news reading on Sky News. And then I got a phone call one day from a bloke claiming to be Mike Munro at Channel 9. <laughs> And I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was at lunch. I was at Bill and Tony's. I still remember with a mate. And I was like, mate, I said, tell me who it is because I'm going to hang up. And he was yeah. like, it's Mike Munro from Channel 9. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm hanging up. So tell me who it is. And he said, no, it is. He said, ring back Channel 9 and ask for me and I'll answer. And I thought, oh, maybe it is Mike Munro. And it was. He'd just taken over a current affair from uh, Ray Martin. Yeah. And he said, I've been watching you on Sky. I used to listen to you on the radio. I think you should come and work over here. So wow. I was like, okay. So went over there and. Met with him, and the next thing I was a producer and then a reporter on A Current Affair. Did you win a Walkley for your coverage of the Threadbow? I did. Disaster. And thank you very much for researching. Well done. Thank you. It was a joint one with Justin Kelly, who was the senior reporter. We did it together for a week or so. I was 
Uh, so yeah, we yeah we were you know we're probably right place at the right time. I got in first, mm. so I was the only person there when the sun came up to describe what was happening. Right. And Justin got the news through when they found Stuart Diver. Remember that he was found yeah. underneath after all of those uh, days underneath the the rubble. Uh, Justin broke that news first, and then when he was pulled out, I had Mike Bowers is this uh, famous uh, photographer in the press gallery. He was there by that stage. Everyone was there. And so he had his camera zoomed right in on the, the hole waiting for this bloke to be pulled out of the ground. So I had a bit of a setup with him whereby he would st- stomp on my foot the moment that he saw this guy's face or head coming out. And I kind of commentated the moment that he came out. So wow. Justin and I said, look, do we put in individual entries for a Walkley or do we put them in together? And we went, let's do it together. So we won one together, which was great. Did that have an I- impact, obviously? I mean, you're young when you win that. Yeah, really young. In fact, Peter Harvey, the late, great Peter Harvey of Mm. Nine News fame, Peter Harvey pulled me aside. In fact, I was nominated for a Walkley Award one year earlier than that, Mm. that I didn't win. And when I didn't win that one, he pulled me aside in the press gallery one day and he said, you didn't win that Walkley. And I said, no, I didn't. And he said, thank God. And I said, oh, why? He said, you would have become the youngest person to win a Walkley. Do you know who the youngest person to win a Walkley is? And I said, no. And he said, me. So Peter Harvey's the youngest person to win a Walkley. Right. And if I had have won that first year, I would have beaten him, but I didn't. Uh, I won a year later, uh, and I've never won one since. So <laughs> it was a really strong start, and there's been a long, long wait since. It's, it's, a, it's a tough thing to win that early, you know, because that's the kind of thing that after years and years and years, people of uh, um, being in the career, people yeah, win. But yeah, to, sure. to win it, was- it at 2021, were you? Yeah. In fact, yeah. Mike Munro once said to me at Channel 9 when we were having a disagreement about something, he said, the worst thing that happened to you was winning that bloody Walkley Award so young. And I was like, oh, okay, great. But look, it was it was right place at the right time. Mm. And it was, you know, as I said, I've I've certainly entered a few times since. And I have, not only have I never won one since, Crickets. I don't think I've ever been a finalist <laughs> since. So, and I'm just checking my inbox. Yes, no, there's nothing Still in there Still nothing. Since, no. Just just on that, um, the the moment when Stuart Diver emerged or, or that, that sort of thing, at 2021, mm. to be covering that kind of stuff, like you don't have a huge amount of life experience. And no. that's a pretty heavy moment. Yeah. And you're sort of in charge of being the person yeah. that commentates this yeah, it's huge. Can I tell you my cheat? What I did please, to cheat, cheat my way through it because there's please. nothing, nothing better than a, a cheat to get you through a situation like that. I had so long because when they found him, he was still trapped under there for five, six hours from memory until they got him out. Mm. So I thought, in, well, I'm going to be live on the air. I know because I've got, you know, I'm next to Mike Bowers. He's got the the shot. I know I'm going to be the person who's going to do this when he comes out. What am I going to say when he's pulled out? Instead of me, I had five hours to plan it. So I thought, write it down. I'm just going to write it. So I just wrote a really long script, summing the whole thing up, and I couldn't see it anyway. I was just getting a, I was just getting a, a knock on the foot from him. I couldn't see it; it was too far away. So I pretty much knew what was going on, you know. And I, yeah. and I, so I, I wrote it. So the moment he, he trod on my foot, I started reading, and I just kept on reading everything that I'd written out beforehand. Oh, so it sounded go. like one of these. You know, live radio, off-the-cuff, ad-lib moments, but it wasn't. So when you went across to Channel 9, what were you doing there at the start? You were at ACA? Yeah, reporting on a current affair, producing, first of all. So uh, the likes of Tara Brown and Emma Alberici were reporters at a current affair, and I was a producer to start with. Then I was a reporter out there on the road doing my thing. I was sent to Adelaide for a year because they said, mate, if you want to be a reporter, you've got to go there for there for a while. And 
and get a little bit of flying miles under your belt. So I ended up reporting there for, I don't know how long, maybe eight years or something like that. I was there for a while. Did a few 60-minute stories as well, which was great. So a couple of times there were there was a story one day that the boss of 60 Minutes, John Westercott, called me and said, listen, how would you like to do a story on 60 Minutes? And I went, oh, well, definitely, I want to do it. And he said, well, hang on, you need to hear what it is first. And I said, no, 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 yes, I'm doing it. And he said, no, you need to hear it. And it was going off into the uh, jungles of West Papua to find the last living tribe of cannibals. <laughs> And he's and I and the other reporters had turned it down, and I was like, "I'm going, I'm going." He goes, "Have you trekked before?" I was like, "Yeah, no." So I've got on a bushwalk. I'd bushwalked. So um, we went off to West Papua and did a ten day trek to go and find this tribe, and we did this big story on on sixty minutes. And so that I, I got to do a handful of them, but uh, I wasn't that good at it. I don't think at, at being a, a sixty minutes reporter. It didn't, and I was probably a bit young for that as well. It didn't come all that naturally to me. Yeah, and I was more of a it's feeling. very young. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I also later discovered, I don't know how many I did for them, maybe half a dozen or so. By the time I did the, the sixth story for them, I remember sitting on a plane and we were flying to Portugal to film a piece to camera for me to do a story about Casey Stoner, the motorbike rider. And I realised sitting on the tarmac waiting for the plane to take off, I was like, this is not me. I'm not someone who is made to be flying for 24 hours to go and do an interview and you know my attention span is better suited to either live mm-hmm. or yeah live you know and then, then when I discovered live tv like I hadn't really done a lot of that but then later on um I don't know how it all worked out but all of a sudden I ended up on the today show I Tom Malone was the boss of the today show and he's a good mate of mine and I was giving him a bit of advice about the today show because he was we've all we're always given each other kind of career advice and I said what about this what about that and I said you need a full-time sports guy mm. because they didn't have one at the time I said you need someone full-time and were you were you dangling no, that definitely with the not. thought of- no because I wasn't a sports guy so I was definitely not but that's where it started for and you then, wasn't it well yeah originally but then I'd become a news guy and right. I always said I wouldn't go back to sport but mm. then he then called me back and said hey listen what about you? And I said, what about me for what? He goes, why don't you do it? And I said, because, mate, I've kind of I've moved on from sport. I'm a news guy. And he said, yeah, but it doesn't matter. It's not about sport. It's about just being part of that ensemble. So mm. it was Carl like Stefanovic, Lisa Wilkinson, Georgie Gardner. And he was like, you know, you'll fit in there. And it was the best thing because then I discovered live TV. And mm. then, I, you know, when you, you don't quite know what you actually like until yeah. you, act, you do it. And then you go, that's not me. I wanted to be a 60 Minutes reporter. But then I got a taste of it and I was like, well, no, I'm not that good at it and I I don't enjoy sitting on a plane uh, that much Mm. and being away from I'm a bit of a sucker when it comes to being a homebody and being around people I love. Whereas when I got on and that red light comes on and this is live and and everything you do – is used. Mm. Whereas when you're filming, you go and film for two weeks and then they, it turns into a 10-minute story and I kind of felt like there was a lot of waste. Yeah. Uh, whereas live TV, live radio uh, just was perfectly suited to my attention span. Well, the other thing is that you have to end up having to redo stuff and reshoot stuff when you're filming and you think, I was talking to Peter Burner on this show about that and he's, you know, sometimes he would do things if he was when he was doing Backburner and he said the producers would say or the director would say, okay, we've got, we've got to go again. And he's like, why? He said, because you fluffed it. He's like, yeah, but people fluff stuff. 
Like people make mistakes. Mm. Like that's what happens. I didn't fluff it completely. Like it's usable. Um, but when you do radio or live television, it's all it's, used. It's just out there. It's done. You yeah. don't have to overthink it. You and even when you record something, I think for certain certain segments, you realise that your brain kicks into that. Oh, this could be. We could go again. <laughs> so I don't. So there's always that sort of sense of yeah. trepidation. I think. But when it's live, you just go. Whatever well, comes out, comes out. When I was doing uh, a couple of sixty minute stories, someone would say, "Just do that again." The producer would say, "Can you ask that again?" And can you? And I was bad at that. Oh yeah, I was you got bad to act at the at the acting yeah. thing. And it's a real art form to be yeah. able to do. It. I got a great respect for people to do it. I, I was just bad at it. Mm. So when you when you realise that, and it's not a nice thing to admit to yourself, where you're like, "Oh, I suck at that." Yeah, but you, I mean, you can't be good at everything, right? And I think a big part of this whole process of working out where you are, crossing stuff off the list That's is true. as important as putting stuff on it. That's true. You know, and realising, actually, this has been a great dream of mine, mm. but I'm not very good at it mm. or I'm not suited to it mm. or the lifestyle isn't what I thought it would be. But I'm, I'm lucky enough that I've actually discovered that through the process of having a crack at it. Yeah. What What's the the, the cannibal story sounds like? Well, but, um, the, well, that sounds more heavy than anything. You've obviously mm. won a Walkley. Uh, were there any really crappy nonsense stories oh, that you've covered? Yes, where do we start? <laughs> oh, can I think? I did a story about a laughing club in Adelaide where everyone got together and laughed just you to make themselves to it, feel better. You? I thought of it. It was my idea. What do you mean? <laughs> well, because I'd seen this ad in the newspaper for a laughing club and I went, that sounds wacky. I'll go along and do that. So, look, I, I, I like the light and the shade. I, mm. I, I'm not afraid of, I, you know, I. I did um, heavy investigations on Channel 9 chasing, you know, pedophile priests and archbishops covering up abuse and things like that and leading to people getting convicted and going to jail when they've done the wrong thing. And then on the other occasion, there were kind of really wacky little light things and I, I didn't mind that as well. I like that balance of, of having a little bit of fun as well. And you learn that on a radio show uh, like I do, if you just make it all hard uh, then people don't get that light relief. And yeah, I, I've spoken a few times about Alan Jones, and he's probably one of the most opinionated radio broadcasters in the country. But he goes hard ripping people's heads off, mm. and then he tells a joke. Yeah. So that's a nice little example of the light and shade that I think you really need. If you're going to give people a, a, a wholesome experience of, of getting a, you know, a real taste of, of the light and the shade. Well, you can't be one-dimensional because then people are like, oh, you're yeah. just a grump or you just don't take yeah. anything. So, you know, you just – people get bored too yeah, easily. If you, can, if, you can, if you can mix it up, I suppose that's the key. What about the fact that when you started on the Today Show, you were also doing the gig here? Mm-hmm. That's like – that's a heavy burden. Yeah, it was a long was that, day. Was that because in this business there is a tendency to say yes to everything? Correct. <laughs> Correct. So Jody and I just got married or we were just getting engaged, I can't remember, but I said – I've been offered drive time on 2GB and joining the Today Show. And she said, which one are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to do both for one year. Mm-hmm. She's like, you can't do that. It's like, you know, because it was three and a half hours on air in the morning, three hours on air in the afternoon. And I said, I'll do both for a year and then I'll choose one at the end of that. Well, I did both for four years. Mm. And it was only then when you know, Jodie fell pregnant with Freddie, our firstborn, that I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say goodbye to, to being on the Today Show every morning. How were those? Obviously, you love both gigs, but how was that four years oh, from a person? Like, but you must have been exhausted. Yeah, no, yeah, it was. No? But because it's adrenaline-based, yeah. different story. If I was there working hard, like a lot of people do, where it was manual labour mm. or, you know, running an office or whatever, different story. But the adrenaline just carries you through. Yeah. And I even realised that 
just over the past summer break where I was having some time, you know, a lot more time looking after now two kids and, you know, which Jodie does it all of the time when she's on maternity leave. But I, I was doing a lot more of that over the, the summer break. One day back at work, and I realised, oh, that adrenaline. Mm. And it's so, and that's where I really feel for Jodie at the moment on maternity leave. And she's been used to that as well as a TV reporter. She's been used to that adrenaline. And when you take that away, that's a big thing that all of a sudden is missing. I guess doing some of the stuff, obviously, it's still a different gig, but some of the stuff that you cover on the Today Show in the morning, you cover. So I guess you'd kind of be partially doing prep in the morning anyway. But they helped each other. Yeah. I, I used to, there'd be a really good interview on the Today Show and I'd go, I'll grab that number, yes. I'll do that this afternoon yeah, on the show. Yeah, yeah. You know no, my I secret, know, see? I know, I know how it goes. Smart cookie, this lady. <laughs> so when you drop the Today show. I mean, yeah. you are, it's, I see you and the gang together. You guys, you know, you you and Carlos, you're like a couple of peas in a pod. Yeah. You guys had a lot of fun together. Were you sad? I, mean, you I was. Sad I mean, Carl, say, no. Carl told me I wasn't going. He was like, you know, mate, you're not leaving. And he, mm. and it's funny. He said, mate, I'll just do one more year and then, <laughs> and then you, you'll take over as host. I was like, Carl, you're not the chief executive of the network. You're not the EP. You don't make decisions like that. Yeah. And I was like, mate, I don't believe you anyway because you're going to keep on going. And yeah, sure enough, exactly. I was right. He's still there. <laughs> He's been claiming for about seven years, this is my last year. This is my last year. Yeah, right. Did you, um, with this job here, you need to be like really across everything. And obviously on the Today Show, you can steal a bit of that gear. But do you, having, I suppose, past knowledge from the experience you've had in Canberra, you've been across the news for years. There there is a residual knowledge that you have, but there's still a daily grind of needing to be across everything for a three-hour show. Mm, yeah. Do you get tired by it or you no, find it quite simple? Well, I'm not across everything. I tend to get across. There are certain issues that, that there are some things that I'm not that interested in, so I tend not to mm. be across them. You know, I mean, you, you've got a general knowledge of most things, but you choose as the host which direction you're taking the show in. So naturally... You play to your forehand, I think. You, 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 you focus on things that you've got a great interest in and you've got a better knowledge in. And then there are other things that will pop up and you think, I need to get my head around this. And that's mm. when you start to do some homework so you can speak about it with a, a degree of authority. Do you feel, obviously, sitting where you are now, you've had a, a bit of a meandering way to get here, but mm. all, all sort of in the news um, kind of area. Do you feel like you've had a plan to where you are or you've just been taking the opportunities as they are? I'd say a bit of 50-50. I mean, I had a plan of being in the in the business, being in the in the radio industry and then the TV industry. But what we discussed earlier, that thing of trial and error, working out what you really like, working out what you're good at, working mm. out what you're not so good at, that's kind of taken me on the on the path, I suppose, to where I am now. And then you have things pop up. Like I was asked a few months ago to do a show for Channel 9 called Australian Ninja Warrior. And I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and I was like, that's not me. That's got nothing to do with... But then I told a mate of mine, Greg Burns, who I mentioned before, and, he, and his sons, who are my godsons, Banjo and Darcy, were like, Uncle Beppo, which is like, you've got to do it, you've got to do it. I was like, okay, all right, I'm going to do it. So anyway, I'm about to do Australian Ninja Warrior, which has got nothing to do with news or sport or, well, I suppose it's kind of sport. So. At all. So at you've all. got to, you know, the odd thing to throw yourself out of your comfort yeah, zone is a good thing. That's and true. I, I probably don't do enough of that, but that's this will be a bit of a test for me of doing something out of my comfort zone. What do you reckon is the best and the worst thing about the industry? Best thing about the industry is that no two days are the same. And the worst thing about the industry, I'm yet to find it. Really? I'm honestly yet to find it. I know that some people get down on it and there are tough things about it. I'm yet to find it. I don't wow. know. I mean, I don't think that 
management necessarily. I'm not talking about the current management of the radio station I work at (laughs) or the TV station I work at. I suppose it's sometimes you work for people who aren't necessarily managers. Mm -hmm. And in the media, it just tends to be whoever the the operator is. Righto, mate, you're now in charge. They're not necessarily. I suppose that's something that that, uh, occasionally I've worked for people where I think, mate, you're not really a manager. Mm. But I guess you get that in all jobs. So I'll go back to my original answer. I'm yet to find a negative about it. And that's the Dead honest truth. Wow, that's a good thing. All right, we're down to the final five, which is good because the continuous call team are breathing down yes. our neck trying to get into this studio. Yes. We need to punch this out in the right. lightning round. Let's we do need it. to fire this out in about three and a half minutes. Mm. Your biggest regret. Biggest regret? Wow. <laughs> Can biggest we do regret. This quickly? Oh, look, I've probably I've made a few mistakes along the way where I've I've done things as far as, you know, I've done things on air that I've looked back on and gone, I could have done that better. I could have handled that better. Mm. I shouldn't have been so tough on that person. Uh, I should have been tougher on that person, uh, you know, and I've made little simple mistakes uh, that I've, you know, like I've, I've, I've done the old Richard Wilkins thing to Jeff Goldblum where I've, I've, you know, I said on air one day about Simon Townsend from Simon Townsend's Wonderworld. Mm. His name came up randomly on the radio one day and I said, oh, sadly, we lost him a few years ago. And then someone pointed out to me, no, he's alive, you know. <laughs> so, you know, you make mistakes like that. I suppose they're, they're um, Your dream gig. Dream gig. Oh, no. Do I really have to answer this? Oh, if you know it and it's embarrassing, yes, you Mm, must. Yeah. Look, my dream gig, I think, would be to be living on either a beach house or a farm and still having a little radio studio set up in the whole thing and still doing the radio show. But I would love to one day, look, to be – you know, the whole point of this thing is to is to show myself and to be True. absolutely open honest. yourself up. To I me. would love, I love doing drive time radio, but I would love one day. I'd be kidding myself if I didn't, uh, if I if I didn't admit that I I'd love to do a national radio show one mm-hmm. day. I think that's you know, I do a Sydney radio show. I'd love to do a national radio show, and then I'd probably love to do an international radio show. You've got to you've got to keep on dreaming, I suppose. Podcast. International. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Like yours. I love uh, a bit of podcast. <laughs> a big idea that you've yet to get up. Have you got any – you want to write a book? Do you want to make a TV series? Are you a film person? Are there any – I'd love to make a film, but I don't have the talent. Uh, I'd love to make a TV show, but I've pitched a few and they've all been rejected. Have they really? Mm. Oh, God, I wish we weren't. didn't have the guys breathing down our neck because I'd ask you about them. But bugger <laughs> it, we'll have to do another podcast. If you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? I think I would be in real estate. I love property. <laughs> I love property. Okay, I didn't expect that. Yeah, like, I know, I know. It's boring. I think, like, I'm obsessed. I love houses. Yep. Love houses. Yep. Love. I love people building things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that's what I'd be doing. Okay, good. Uh, and finally, your advice to people wanting to get into the business. Email you at ben at 2gb.com and come ben in for work experience. Ben at 2gb.com and just get in there. Uh, look, the main thing is when you get in there, when you get in there on that first day of work experience, don't be shy. I mean, it's nothing wrong with being shy. You've got to speak up. Yeah. And you've got to open your mouth and you've got to really make make sure that no one's in any doubt about what you're saying and what you're doing and be that person who goes that extra little mile. Uh, correspondence is a really important thing. You know, when you get an opportunity to do something or you meet someone, send them an email. I say to people at Channel 9 all of the time because I give people advice from time to time and I'm like, you work in this building where there are all these amazing people around here. Have you gone and have you met this person? Have you met that person? Send them an email. Start mm-hmm. a conversation. Ask for advice. Everyone loves being asked advice. 
So go and talk to them and ask some advice and you never know where it might end up. Just a little note to you, the dear listener. I haven't sped up the last three and a half minutes. We've just been talking really quickly because we've got, we got people who want to get into the studio. Thank uh, you. Don't want to get another quick plug for Spinal Ease in no, there? No, no, no. At the no, end, no. Too much. Uh, ben, thank you so much for chatting to me. It's Love been great your work. You it's been show. an honour. Thank you for letting me barge onto your podcast. <laughs> Thanks for listening to You've Got to Start Somewhere. Thanks. To subscribe to the podcast, check out other episodes and keep up to date, head to you've got to start somewhere.com. Thanks so much for listening to my chat with Ben Fordham and I'm glad we got about 97 plugs in there for Spinal Ease because as we all know, it wouldn't be a chat with an AM radio host without a few live reads. If you're enjoying the show, I'd love it if you'd head to iTunes or wherever you check out the podcast and leave a review. Big shout out to Abby Allen and Buy Boots who have done just that and Buy Boots, great suggestion for a potential guest, Sean McAuliffe. If there is someone that you would like to hear on the show, just head to You've Got to Start Somewhere com and send me an email at the contact page or alternatively just drop it into your review and I will do my very best to stalk that individual until they agree to come on my show. Fingers crossed. Next week I'm going to be chatting with the host of SBS Viceland's The Feed, Mark Fennell. You may know him as that movie guy from Triple J. Unfortunately, if you are someone like me who enjoyed his movie reviews immensely, you will be very sad about this fact, but he talks on the show about why it was time to hand the job to somebody else. It was becoming this thing where um, I'd get to the end of the week and I'd do the TV show, I'd do a radio show for the ABC as well and I'd get to the end of the week and be like, oh, my God, I forgot to review a movie. And it was, even though it is the thing that I do that definitely reaches the most people without question, it was the last thing in my week. And I I think the moment something becomes a chore... yeah you should make sure that you're making room for somebody else to do it. And and to be clear, I still loved doing it. And I still love having a conversation with people about movies. But I think that format, I was very happy to hand that on to somebody else. I hope you'll join me next week for that chat. I'll see you then. (laughs) 